16, I would like you to turn in your Bibles, take your Bibles, however they are, leather, paper, electronic, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, for some weeks, actually for some months, we have been working our way through the gospel of Mark. Not every week, sometimes we'll take a break and we'll, we'll look at something else in Scripture or some other place in Scripture, but for a number of months we have been looking at the gospel of Mark and, uh, and the, the life and the teachings, the ministry, the miracles of Jesus Christ. And I have so enjoyed this. I have, I have learned so much. I've read through the gospel of, of Mark many, many, many times. But I, I tell you, to, to look at it deeply and to drill down, it's been really transformational with me. And a lot of you have come up and said, man, I just love this. And, I'm, and that doesn't, I, I don't say that because I need the kudos. I'm just rejoicing with what Jesus is doing as he is speaking to people through his word. Because this word is powerful. This book alone is powerful. It's not like any other book. It's the word of God. It's without error. It's powerful. It's life transforming. It'll protect you from the enemy. It'll speak to you. If you're looking for messages, a series of messages where you can have a better life in 10 easy steps or something like that, well, you're not going to necessarily get that here, but God will speak to you as we continue to preach his word. So again, if you have that, turn to Mark chapter 10. Beginning with verse 17 of Mark 10, it says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, the man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What a statement. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Lord, Continue to speak to us through your word in this time. Your people submitted to you, hungry for you. Would you feed them, Lord, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The, uh, the man's name, mentioned in three gospels, the man's name is, is never given. Never given, not, not even once. We don't know the man's name. Here in Mark's gospel, it says he was wealthy. In Matthew's gospel, it says he was young. And in Luke's gospel, it calls him a ruler. So since then, we have known him by his attributes. He is known as the rich young ruler. That's what we call him. He was rich and he was young and he was a ruler. He was the rich young ruler. 
In many ways, we know, again, from what is given here and in the other Gospels, the two other Gospels that mention him, we know that in many ways he had it very, very good. The rich young ruler obviously had money, and he had everything that money can buy. You know, money can buy a lot of things. Some of you know that. You went to Black Friday and all of that stuff. Money can buy a lot of things, and he had lots of money. It calls him wealthy, so presumably it's fair to assume that he had a lot of what money could buy at that time. He also had youth, so we can assume that he was Because he was younger, he was probably healthy, and he had time. He had years ahead of him. That's one of the advantages of youth, that you have a pretty good chance of living some more years. And so he had those two wonderful things about him. He was relatively healthy, and he had a lot of time ahead of him. And he also, being a ruler, he also had power. And with power comes influence, and with power comes the attention. Those often accompany rulers. They have influence, they have power, they have attention. They receive people's attention. So in many ways, this man had it very good. He's rich, and he's young, and he's a ruler. He had it very, very good. He had what many people today would like to have. Think of this. He had what many people today would love to have, wealth and youth and health and power and influence and attention. Now, we don't know a lot about him, but this actually tells us quite a lot about him. Verse 17 records how he did many things right. And I I want you to notice verse 17. First of all, it says that he had right direction. Right direction. It says there in verse 17 that he ran up to Jesus. Now just picture this in your minds, that wonderful ability that God gave you to imagine this. Jesus comes to his area. He hears that Jesus is there, and the Bible says he ran to where Jesus was. He ran up to him. Now, I, I, I don't remember a time in Scripture specifically, there may be, I just can't think of one right now, a time where people ran from Jesus. We often find people running to him. Even demon-possessed people sometimes would run to him. But I'm sure that in three years of public ministry, there were times when people ran from Jesus. They ran from him. But think of it. This guy, he's, got some, he's doing something right. He is running to Jesus. Do you know that I have known a lot of people who their whole lives run away from Jesus? It's heartbreaking, really. There's a lot of people that will spend an entire lifetime running from Jesus. Jesus starts, the, 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 the Spirit of God begins to move, and, and they don't really put their, can't put a number on it or, a, or a, a, a can't exactly describe it, but they, they sense there's something there, and so they run from Jesus. Somebody talks about Jesus Christ, and they run from that. There are a lot of people who will spend an entire lifetime running from Jesus, and one of the big things, it's a really good thing when someone starts running to him. Now, that doesn't mean that they're saved. That doesn't mean that they've come, submitted themselves to Christ, but it's really, really cool when someone starts running to Jesus. Some of you, some of you ran to Jesus before you came to Jesus. Some of you ran to him before he transformed your lives. 
thank God for it. So this, this man's doing the right, he's heading in the right direction. Secondly, he had right attitude. He had a right attitude. It says again there in verse 17 that he fell on his knees before Jesus. Again, picture this in your minds. He runs to him, and then just as he gets to him, he drops to both knees, and he submits himself to Jesus. That is an attitude of reverence. Not everyone fell on their knees before Jesus. I I think there's about half a dozen times where it's recorded where people fell at Jesus' feet or they knelt at his feet. This is one of them. This man is here. He runs up to him. He drops on his knees. He doesn't know him necessarily as God. I don't think that he did this. In fact, I'm quite confident he didn't believe yet that he was God. Jesus had not fully revealed that to everyone. But he's reverent. He falls on his knees. He had a right attitude. You know, there are a lot of people today who, who have a wrong attitude towards God. I was talking to someone recently, and they, they just went, when they started talking about God, they, they almost became, in fact, not almost, they, in fact, became very disrespectful. Start saying pretty bad things about God, saying that they didn't believe in him, but then began to disparage him. Isn't that interesting? A lot of people have a, a bad attitude about God, but this guy has a right attitude. He falls at Jesus' feet. He's in an attitude of respect and even reverence. The third thing is this man had a right understanding. I I want you to notice, again, still there in verse 17, he comes up, runs up to Jesus, falls at his feet, and calls him good teacher. Calls him a good teacher. And Jesus was a good teacher. In fact, Jesus was a better teacher than this man fully realized. He, 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 was, he was not only a better teacher, but he was also more good. He just thought, you know, you're a good person. He had been, he'd heard about Jesus' teaching. Jesus was about two years into his public ministry at this point, And so word of his teaching had gotten around. People had heard about it. People were coming and listening to Jesus. And so he knows this and he calls him a good teacher, though he had no idea how good Jesus truly was. We sang a song earlier uh, this morning where we said, uh, where we sang rather, you are good. You are good and your mercies last forever. How many here are very grateful that God is good? He's a good God. He's a good God. Now I'm not saying you have a great life, but I'll tell you what, we have a good God. I'm not saying that you have it easy, but we have a good God. He's not a bad God. He's a good God. He's the only God, but he's a good God. And this man, though he didn't understand Jesus as God, he did say good teacher. So he has a right understanding. And then, still in verse 17, the rich young ruler asked the right question. In fact, he, he asks the most right question anyone can ask. He asks this. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now remember, this man has much. He was wealthy, and he was young, and he was powerful. He was doing many of the right things, and we know later We know from a later statement that he was not doing many of the wrong things, but still, this man who has so much, this man who had much then that many people would like now, this man still knew deep down, he knew that he did not have eternal life. 
He knew he couldn't buy it with his wealth. He knew he couldn't gain it with his youth. And he couldn't claim it because of his power. He had done so many things right, but he still knew deep down something is missing. How do I get eternal life? When you think about it, the rich young ruler is a lot like some of the people that you know. Just think about that for a moment. The rich young ruler of 2,000 years ago of Mark chapter 10 is a lot like some of the people that you know, people who have a lot going for them. There are people that you know who are very young. There are people that you know who have great financial means. There are people you know who who are influential and people you know who are knowledgeable and people you know who are gifted. Some of the people that you know have a combination of some of those things I just mentioned. I mean, there are people that you know that in many ways they have it together. But still they wonder. If they're not followers of Christ, still they wonder, what am I missing? In one of the other Gospels that recounts this story, the man actually said that. It, it adds what Mark did not hear. He asked, he says, what am I still missing? What am I still missing? What a statement. What am I still missing? I got all the good things that this life can offer. I have all the good things and I've done so many of the right things, but I'm still missing something. There's a lot of people that still wonder the same thing. They have the same question as that man 20 centuries ago. What will happen to me or what will happen to someone I love after we die? What's going to happen to me when I die? Now, a lot of people say, well, you just go to the the grave and you rot. This, This life is all there is. But you have to understand that that every person, whether they will acknowledge it or not, every person within them has this eternal part called their spirit. So even though many with their statements, with their minds, will, will declare that I don't believe there is anything beyond this, because there is an eternal part in us, our spirit still wonders what's going to happen to me. What's going to happen to my loved one? What's going to happen to my husband, my wife, my child, my parent? What's going to happen to them, my close friend? What's going to happen to them, to me, when we die? It's interesting that (laughs) this is, I, I I don't want to say it's typical of Jesus, but he did this a lot. Instead of answering the man directly, Jesus did what he often did, and he asked a question of his own. Why do you call me good? And then he said, no one is good except God alone. So he answers that the man has a question. What do I need to do to to gain eternal life? Jesus responds with a question. But then again, interestingly enough, for whatever reason, Jesus did not let the man answer his own question. Because again, in verse 19, Jesus said this. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now I want you to just pause there. I want you to know what just happened in this, in this scene that's occurring here in Mark 10. I want you to understand what's just happening. Jesus is Jewish. The man to whom he's speaking, the man who's at his feet is also Jewish. 
And like most observant Jews, they knew the law, the Mosaic law. They especially knew the Decalogue. The Decalogue is a fancy word for what we call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments listed in Exodus chapter 20 is is the basis, the core, if you will, of the Mosaic Law. Those Ten Commandments are, are powerful statements that are still in effect today. You have to understand also that that the Ten Commandments are broken into two sections. The first four, the first of the the first four commandments of the ten, um, have to do with our relationship with God, the vertical relationship, the most important relationship that we can have. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The last six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. In fact, it's so so important that. Uh, again, many years after the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments were given, somebody came up to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? They're trying to trick him. We've shared this before. They're trying to trick him. And Jesus said, and I paraphrase, Jesus said, there are really only two commandments. Uh, there, is, there is to love God with everything in you and then to love other people as yourself. And then he went on and he said this, upon those two commands, the whole law rests. First four have to do with our relationship with God, the last six. What's interesting here is that Jesus lists five of the commandments. He doesn't touch on the first four having to do with our relationship with God. Rather, he goes directly towards the the end part, the second part, our relationship with each other. Again, Jesus says, you know the commands, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, Don't give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. There's some question here because he only mentions five of those six commandments, the ones having to do with each other. The one that he doesn't mention is you shall not covet, which has to do with things, which has to do with our desire or our passion or our attaining of or how we attain or how we long for things. It's interesting here, again, Jesus knowing the law, of course, he's God, but he's also been raised in this Jewish tradition, and he's speaking to this Jewish man who also understands that Jesus mentions five of those six commands having to do with each other, but he omits one. And some people have said, well, one of the reasons he did that is Jesus intentionally left that one off so that the man would pick up on it, but he didn't. The young man then said this, all these things, these five, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And maybe he did. You know, he didn't, didn't murder anyone, to, didn't, didn't lie to anyone, didn't commit adultery, didn't steal. He, didn't, he, he went through the whole thing in these five. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, look at verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Stop there for a moment. There's more to verse 21, but stop there. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, every word in the Bible is important, and I don't want you missing the significance of those few words. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It says, Jesus looked at him. You know, when we look at someone, Nathan, would you join me up here for a minute? This is my son. I didn't even know that I was going to do this, but I think this is a good example. Come on up here. This is my precious. This is my little boy. This is my little boy. He's one of my 
my best friends. Now, a lot of times when people look at Nathan, the first thing they say is, boy, he's a big guy. And he is. I used to bounce him on my knee. I would need knee replacement surgery if I were to do that now. But, you know, you look at someone and you go, okay, he's tall, he's handsome like his father. He's, he's, uh, he's you know, he seems to be pretty smart and, and uh, you know, and, and we tend to look at people from the, from the outside, don't we? We, we, we? we look at people and we make these judgments. Thank you, son. You can go ahead and sit down. But we look at people and we go, okay, here's the, here's the, the size of him. Here's the, the shape of him or her. Here's the color of them. Here's the facial features of them. Here's the language. These are all topical things. These are all external things. When we look at each other, we often see certain things. But it says here, but Jesus looked at him. Let me tell you something. Jesus looks at you different than other people look at you. Amen. And thank God for it. Now, is Jesus, was Jesus aware that of this guy? Of course he was aware of what he looked like. But when it says here Jesus looked at him, when Jesus looked at him, here's what I think. I think he looked deep into him. Because you can read through the Gospels, you will often find Jesus where it says, and knowing what they were thinking, I think when it says here and Jesus looked at him, Jesus looked all the way down. He looked into his heart. He looked into his mind. He looked into the very core of him. He couldn't care less about how he looked on the outside, but Jesus looked at the inside. Some of you are really, you know, you wonder, how does God see me? Well, let me, let me just give you some really great news. He sees you better, and he sees you different than other people see you. And sometimes he sees not just what you are, but what you are going to become. Sometimes, no, not sometimes, he always sees what he desires you to be. He sees beyond what you are, what you look like, and he sees you as God sees you, and this is a very good thing. You know, one of my prayers is that I will see people not as a, just a regular person. I want to see people as God sees them. And that's a good prayer. It also says that Jesus loved the man. It says he, he looked at him and he loved him. That's an interesting statement, too, because the man has not surrendered his life to Jesus, but Jesus still loved him. This man has probably, it's assumed, coveting in his heart, a love, we know, a love for material things in his heart. And though that may, in our estimation, not be one of the you know, first-class sins, it's still sin. And so this man, Jesus looks at this man who is sinful, like all of us have sinned, and like all of us, many of us once were just totally bound and lost in sin. Jesus looked at this man and it says he loved him. The best known book in the whole world is the Bible. The best known verse in the best known book is one that you've probably committed to memory. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say that God gave his son and therefore loved the world. God loved this world before he gave his son. God loved, it was because of God's love for mankind that he sent his son to save mankind. Now God is more than love. Sometimes we focus only on that. God is also just. God is also fair. God is also uh, concerned. God, God is a lot of things, but God loves people. And it says this, Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. Some of you don't feel very loved. Well, 
let me just, let, I just want this to settle into your spirit. God loves you. No, God loves you. See, I don't feel very lovable. That may be. God loves you. Say, I've done a lot of bad things, but God loves you. And he desires to have a relationship with you. And his love is, is not going to come just after you come to him. His love is there before you come to him. God loves you. Just yeah. let that settle into your spirit. God loves you. Finally, still in verse 21, there's a lot there. It says, Jesus then directed and called the man. One thing you lack, Jesus said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now that's a, that's a, that's one of those verses in Scripture that we can really misunderstand and use in the wrong way or apply in the wrong way. I want you to know that this is the only occasion recorded in which Jesus gave this command to a person. It's again, it's mentioned in two other Gospels, but this is the only occasion in which Jesus gave this specific command to a person. Jesus did not require this of everyone. He did, however, require it of the man who measured his life by his wealth. Let me say that again. He did, however, require this of this man who measured his own life by his wealth. Because Jesus looked deep into him. And he saw that this is what held him. And Jesus knew that the one thing, this one thing held this young man from becoming a follower. Jesus looked deep. And he, he, this is the thing that is holding him back from becoming my follower. You see, he could have been bound by anything. If his problem had been pride, Jesus could have said, go home, surrender your titles, resign your influential positions, dismantle your ego wall, then come and follow me. If that's what Jesus would have seen, that's what he would have said, something like that perhaps. Or if his problem, if the thing that he had not yet surrendered was lust, Jesus could have said to him, go home, destroy your lewd statues and paintings, stop sleeping with that woman who isn't your wife, and then come and follow me. But knowing, Jesus knowing, looking deep into him, his heart, and still loving him in that state, Jesus knowing that this man's wealth meant more to him than anything else, Jesus told him, to sell everything, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come and follow him. So please don't take this and go, boy, if I'm really going to be a follower, I need to give everything, sell everything, and then give the proceeds to the Salvation Army this Christmas. It's not what this is saying. This is what this God called this. God may be calling you to do something else if there's something else that controls you. Let me point this out as well. You cannot get eternal life by giving things away. You can't. Salvation is not found in philanthropy. And I'm really grateful for people that, you know, make a lot of money and become extremely wealthy or even just mildly wealthy and then 
at the end of their life, they say, you know, I'm going to feed the poor or eradicate disease or something like that. I think that's noble, but you don't become a follower of Jesus by just giving things up. Salvation comes not in the first part where we give something up. Salvation comes in following Him. The name of Jesus, Jesus, um, means, literally means, God saves. Christ is a title, Messiah, but His name, Jesus, means God saves. You're saved by the Savior, and the Savior's name, Jesus, means God saves. He's the only one that can save you. Just giving away a whole bunch of money, if that were the case. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, everybody would be writing out a will today. Everybody in the world, if they knew that this is, everybody would be writing out a will so that when they die, it all goes, and then they would just go. And some people think that, but that's not the case. You can't get salvation through philanthropy. But Jesus knew the young man had to surrender before he could follow. I want you to see that. Jesus knew the young man had to surrender before he could follow. It doesn't mean that he had to pay something or earn something. It's just that before we can follow him, we have to die to self. I've had the privilege of praying many times with people. And I thank God, I just love every time where I get to pray with someone for Christ to come into their life. But I think every time that I've ever prayed with someone, I always include, as a part of that prayer, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life or I give my life to you. Because it's really important that it's not just I want to add something, but I want to surrender something. Jesus knew The young man had to surrender before he could follow. We don't know exactly how much time takes place here, but it appears the rich young ruler considered Jesus' invitation for just a moment. Verse 22 again says this, At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now you understand, this man still had what he had at the beginning of the story. He still had everything that he came to Jesus with. He, he still had everything. He still had his wealth, he still had his youth, and he still had his power. He still had all of those things. He, still had his, he was still a young man when he left. He didn't suddenly grow old. He didn't lose all of his wealth at that moment, and he didn't, he didn't lose all of his influence. He continued to be rich and young and a ruler. But his direction was reversed. Please notice that. It says he walked away. Earlier he had run to Jesus. Earlier he had come to him saying, what do I need to do? He'd fallen at his feet and he says, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? And then when Jesus said what he needed to do, he gets up and instead of running to Jesus, he walks away from Jesus. I have known some and you have as well. Some people who have, it's been laid out before them and this is what you, and, they, and they, they count the cost and they say, it's not worth it. And they walk away from Jesus. Instead of running to him, they walk away from him. Sometimes run away from him. I have seen that often for much of the rest of their life until there's a great breaking, they continue to walk away or run away from Jesus. So his direction was reversed. Also, his attitude was different. 
Remember, he came and he fell at Jesus' feet. He came with reverence, with the attitude of reverence, but now it says he leaves, his face fell and he left with sadness. I've lived, I hope, I've lived more years than I have years in front of me. I've learned a few things. And one of the things that I have learned is that the only one who gives me true joy is Jesus. Other things can give me temporary happiness, but only Jesus gives me joy. And if I did not have that joy, I would have great sadness. I have learned this. There are a lot of people who will go the rest of their lives because they're running from Jesus who will live in perpetual sadness. They will have periods of, of, of happiness. They, they will have periods in which they're maybe even euphoric, but, but it will always come back. There will be a sadness about them because having been invited by Jesus, they have rejected Jesus and continued to move away from Jesus. He may have still regarded, even as he left, even as he walked away, he still may have regarded Jesus as good, but to this man, Jesus apparently wasn't good enough to follow. And there's one thing that didn't change. His direction changed. His countenance changed. But one thing that didn't change, he was still uncertain about eternal life. He still had the question. The question didn't go away. He still longed to have the assurance that when he died, he would go to heaven. He still had that uncertainty. How many people have you known that when you ask them a very simple question, like if you were to die today, are you certain that you would go to heaven? It's a great question. Powerful question. And how many times have you heard people say, I hope so? Or they'll respond with, well, I've been a good person. Kind of like this guy. But they're not really sure. But the Bible tells us we can be sure. Because we know that we're his. I have to tell you that I don't like sad endings to Jesus encounters. Again, I don't like sad endings to Jesus encounters. Almost every other encounter recorded in Scripture where Jesus met with people, almost every one of them ended with someone having received hope or someone receiving healing, or deliverance, or redirection, or miraculous provision. You can look through the Gospels and read, and almost every time someone came into contact with Jesus, almost every time they left better than what they came. This is what happens with Jesus' encounters. This is what happens when we encounter Jesus, when we fall at his feet, when we surrender ourselves. Our lives are changed. If you have been changed by an encounter with Jesus, somebody say amen. So you've been changed. You you get it. Your life has been transformed because you not just know about the Savior, you know the Savior. He changes us. 
Well, there's some of you. I've known you for, a lot of you for a long time. Your life is better now than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Because you've had a Jesus encounter. Many of them. You know him. I don't like sad endings to Jesus encounters. But this time, with this man, it was a sad ending to a Jesus encounter. You see, his story is epic in that it was an opportunity lost. That's why we remember his story. That's why we don't know his name, I think. If, if he, could have been, he could have been one of the five. He could have been one of the 12. He could have been number 13 or something like that. He could have been the guy that replaced Judas when he died. He could have been one of the guys. He could have been one of the 70. He could have been one of the, the, the thousands that came to Christ shortly after he ascended into heaven. He could have been one of them, but he's never recorded again, never spoken of again. His is an epic story of opportunity lost. I don't often title my sermons, you know that. But if you're taking notes and you want to go back to the top and write down the title of this message, I would title it this way, The Man Who Did So Many Things Right But Got the Main Thing Wrong. Because that's what happened. He got so many things right. He had so many good things going for him, but he got the main thing wrong. And there are so many people living in the world today who get so many things right. They're smart, they're gifted, they're talented. They have power, they have influence, they have beauty, they have, they have beauty by, I'm, that's not a good example, it's, that's by our terms. But they, they have all of the things that, 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 that God can use, but they throw it away. They, they get so many things right, but they get the main thing wrong. By the way, the rich young ruler eventually grew old. He did. He didn't stay young. He eventually became the rich old ruler. He grew old. At his death, his riches, if they lasted that long, because sometimes riches don't last throughout your life, at his death, his riches, if they lasted that long, went to someone else. Somebody else became the rich young nephew or something like that. And his kingdom, his kingdom, his, remember he was a ruler, his kingdom or his influence became at best, at best his, his rulership at best became a mere footnote in someone's dusty history book. And heaven never became his reality. He got so many things right, but he got the main thing wrong. This morning, perhaps the greatest tragedy is that some variation of this story has been repeated countless times in the centuries since then. I'd like to say, oh, that Mark 10, boy, that's an anomaly. That just doesn't happen very often. The sad fact is it's happened a number of times that only God can count. So many times when people have had the opportunity, many opportunities to surrender, to come to Christ, to begin living for Him instead of for themselves, but it became an opportunity lost. No, I'd rather not. No, I'm going to hold off. No, I don't believe. No, I'm going to keep doing my thing. And their story becomes an epic story of opportunity 
lost. This morning, don't miss the opportunity. I don't care how much you think you have it together, how good you have it in so many ways. God has something greater for you. Don't miss this Jesus encounter. Don't miss this Jesus encounter. A few moments ago, I made the statement. A few moments ago, I said that he, uh, he had to surrender before he could follow. This morning, I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to ask the uh, worship team if you would join me here on the platform. In the closing moments, and I want to be sensitive of time, I know that there may be a lot happening, but l- let me tell you, there's nothing more, or right now, for these moments, there's nothing more important. There's nothing. There's no pressing phone call right now. There is no pressing meeting that's coming up. There's no meal that you're meeting with. There's nothing more important than right now, saying, Lord, would you look at me again? And I, I'm saying, whether if, you, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ or if you surrendered your life to him a long time ago, I, I, I believe this, God desires to do greater things ahead in your life, regardless of how long you've been serving him. Jesus desires to do greater things in your life ahead than he's done in the past. But I want that to happen... But it won't happen if there are some things that are holding us that need to be surrendered to Him. So in a few moments, we're going to sing a song together. We're going to, as we often do, open up these altars. Altar is a place in which we leave things. Altar is a place where we can meet with God. And by the way, we can meet with Him anywhere. I get that. But there's something about moving and stepping out in faith and coming forward or changing positions or even kneeling down where you are there's something powerful about saying Lord I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to surrender so I'm going to give you that opportunity and um, we're going to sing the song called The Stand and uh, Again, we sang it earlier. In fact, would you stand right now? Just if you can, stand across this building. In this, in a real, in what God is doing here, would you bow your heads? Everyone, please bow your heads for a moment. Uh, I've said some very pointed things. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, wow, he knew I was here, so he, no, I I didn't, I didn't know any of you were going to be here except my immediate But the Holy Spirit, God himself, who arranges divine encounters, knew you would be here to hear this message. So this morning, with no one looking around, I'm going to ask you this. If there is someone here that today, by raising your hand and catching my eye, you can, in just a moment, if this is you, open your eyes and catch my eye, because I want to pray for you and I want to identify you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want you in an act of faith to say yes. I'm going to surrender my life. Today's the day. I'm surrendering. I'm I'm, I'm not going to walk away anymore. I'm not going to run away anymore. I'm not going to live in this despondent state anymore. 
I'm going to follow him. I don't know exactly all that that means, but I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to surrender today. Today, today is the day that he becomes the most important person rather than me being the most important person. If you've never prayed that prayer before, or maybe you've been running from him and you want to say, no, I'm running, I'm going back to him. If that is you this morning, with every head bowed, but if that's you, I want you to do two things. I want you to lift up your hand high and hold it there for a moment, and then lift up your eyes. I want to catch your eye, and I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here? Thank you in the balcony. Thank you down here. Thank you down here, my friend. Someone else. Thank you in back. Thank you right here. Is there someone else? Today's the day. Today I, I, today I stopped running. Is there anyone else? About, about five or six people. Thank God for what he's doing. Thank God for how he's speaking to people. Is there anyone else? Again, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would like you to do this. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Lead you in a prayer. The emphasis on you. I'm going to say something. If you agree with this, I want you to pray it as well. It's going to be a very simple prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of asking. You see, you have to understand Jesus... The Bible says that Jesus is waiting to come in. He wants to come in. He wants to come into our lives. He wants to be, but he will never force his way in. We have to ask him. He's God. He created everything, but we have to ask him. So in a moment, I'm going to pray this prayer. If you, if, in fact, even if you prayed it a long time ago, you can pray it. And maybe these who raised their hand will pray it for the first time, but, or the first time in a long time, but. Even if you did pray it, I'd like you to pray this as well. So if you agree with this, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for speaking to me today through your word. I'm not here by accident. Today I meet with you. I surrender myself to you. My life I place in your hands. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you rose from the dead. I declare it. From this day forward, I'm going to serve you. I'm no longer going to serve me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life and for saving me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or the first time in a long time, I want you to understand what just happened. You surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You fell at his feet. You responded to his call to give yourself up, and he has come in. From this day forward, God, has, God is going to do amazing things in your life. This is not the end. This is not the peak. You're going to grow in the Lord. If this morning you... If this morning you uh, made that prayer, I don't have a copy here. If this morning you made that prayer, 
can take this card and it says there, I am making a first-time commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ or I'm renewing my commitment to Him. It's in the pew rack in front of you and you can, you can fill that out and just hand it to me or to one of the other pastors that you saw up here earlier or to an usher. They'll get it to us. But I want to pray with you here in a moment. Before we do that, however, I know that there are many of us that prayed this prayer a long time ago. I want to pray with you as well. There may be something again in your life that has been holding you back from you becoming what God desires you to, to be. There may be something in your life that, that is uh, holding you back from accomplishing His perfect will in your life. We're going to sing this song and then we're going to open up these altars and you can turn where you are, but I want you to do something and spend some time with the Lord. We're going to close here in a moment, but I want this to be a time of surrender as well. The Holy Spirit has shined anything in your life and said that should not be there, then today's the day when we give it to Him and I promise you that you're going to receive so much more. I promise you. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that you will search our hearts. In a few moments, Lord, when we make our way out of this building or when we come to an altar of prayer where we, when we turn where we are, I pray that I know that you will meet with us there. Thank you, Lord, for giving yourself for us, giving yourself to us. Thank you for these people who have surrendered their lives to you. Lord, if there's anything in us, if there's anything in us that is unconfessed, if there's anything in us that should not be there, if there's anything in us, oh Lord, may we surrender it to you and then follow you like we've never followed you before. This is my prayer. So Lord, we ask your blessing as we go. We ask your favor as we go. We ask for your strength as we go. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you lead us? Uh,